So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary, and my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world, talking about a subject you probably already know something about. But this time, we're digging down, getting into the details, and really unlocking those questions and answers that kind of had you stuck in the past so you can break through the ceiling and really get access to that better business and ultimately that better life. And so before we dive in real quick, I just want to remind everybody, please do subscribe, leave feedback, leave comments. Any feedback you can give us positive or negative is so wonderful to get that, uh, that, uh, that correction, validation, feedback. It's wonderful and we're grateful for all of that. So without further ado, my guest today um, is just a perfect subject for what I just said in terms of the passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world. Shannon Waller has been with Strategic Coach, a phenomenal organization. She's been with them for uh, since, since 1991, and she is uh, a thought leader in this world and uh, certainly um, creator of the Entrepreneurial Team Program. Uh, the author of multiple books, including co-authoring Unique Ability 2.0, which is a, a book that everybody I've ever talked to who has used it has attributed tremendous improvement and tremendous value from going through the exercise of that, um, is the author of the Team Success Handbook, and most recently wrote uh, Multiplication by Subtraction. So welcome, my esteemed and wonderful and fun guest, Shannon Waller. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you, Mark. I love that introduction. And I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, we both want to be a hero to the same audience. And so um, I'm jazzed to be talking with you. So what have you been up to? And I know the answer to the question. So I, that is I normally as unscripted, but I know what you've been up to and I want to hear all about it. Oh my goodness. Well, at Coach, we've been up to a lot of things. We've been up to doing everything virtual, just as we are right now, uh, which has been really exciting. But probably the biggest news in our world right now is we have a mass market book published, uh, which is called Who Not How. And that's written by Benjamin Hardy, obviously in collaboration with Dan Sullivan. And that's been a big flipping deal. Um, so we're pretty we're pretty jazzed about that. And it's, it's great because it, it actually... Encapsulate or encapsulates a really key concept in Strategic Coach, which does it's really how do you stay focused on your unique ability? Do you get trapped in the how of doing things that you don't want to do, especially when you have a bigger, better goal? Um, or do you find a who for it? And when you find the who's, you're actually freed up to do what you're best at and most love to do. Um, so that's kind of that's so what we've been up to. Most that's recently. what I really want to dig into. I mean, we'll talk about a lot of different things, I'm sure. But this concept of, of who, not how, um, I, I heard Dan speak uh, about this subject a year ago, maybe. I mean, he mm -hmm. was at the EOS uh, Collaborative Exchange right. for for all of it, um, for all the implementers. And so I, I, this, this concept of who, not how really kind of, it was a, we planted a seed about what does that exactly mean? And I've, and I've looked at it a lot with my teams and as it turns out it's a pretty profound concept that uh that really changes certainly for me changed how i viewed decisions frustrations uh, and stuck spots in kind of in terms of growing the company feeling free feeling like we're getting the quality we needed uh and i've really been trying to get that across to my clients who are also feeling stuck so what does it mean what's the sort of the summary on who not how 
So Who Not How, and I first of all I need to give a shout out to Dan Sullivan and his podcast with Dean Jackson. So Dean Jackson's actually the one who coined the term, and this was on their podcast, which was then called The Joy of Procrastination, which ah, is yeah. completely paradoxical. It's now called Cloud Cloudlandia, by the way, because uh, Dean is this incredible thinker marketing guru and uh, he sort of but it, so they were on the on the procrastination podcast and so i want to tell you the origin story behind this and he said you know one of the re- main reasons why i procrastinate as i was thinking about today's podcast is that is you know when i have this thing that i want to accomplish i don't think about you know what i normally do is i think about how do i do it and then i immediately hit a wall i get stuck uh he said in, he figured out instead if i figure out who knows the how, who can I work with, then all of a sudden I'm unstuck and then I'm making progress towards my goal. So Dan goes, oh, who, not how? <laughs> and that's really where <laughs> the like, whole thing came from. It's kind of like, oh. Just an accidental. So if you, yeah, it's one of those, you know, chocolate in the peanut butter. <laughs> hey, this is good. Peanut butter yeah. yeah, this is really good. Uh, so yeah, the who, not how idea just is exactly that. It's, it's you know, and entrepreneurs, by definition, are aspirational. You're not going to need this concept if you don't want to grow. Okay, so it's only for aspirational, um, ambitious people. And what it so means I want to is pause that, on that concept, by the way. Yeah, because please. That, because I think there are, I think it's worth to call that decision out. I want to grow mm-hmm. because I think it helps people make sense of why should I bother with X? Why should I do this exercise? Why should I be in this program? Why should I meditate? Why should I whatever? And it came to me with, in a conversation uh, with a guy who, who teaches meditation and self-awareness and, and said, the power of observation um, is the required ingredient for this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, wait a minute. It's, it's not necessarily. So our lives are governed by habits and repetitive patterns. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've, we're starting to get access to that data. You know, we know between yeah. James Clear and B.J. Fogg and, and uh, yep. Charles Duhigg, we got uh, lots of data on, on what habits are about. And it's most of our lives are habitual. And so here's the question uh, is, are we getting what we want? And if we're getting what we want, the habits are doing the work. Don't think. Don't try. It's automatic at this stage. If you want something more or something different, then you only you have one required uh, obligation, and that is to observe mm-hmm. and figure out if there's something that's working and that's not, and start to do this work. Uh, and so the whole question starts with: Am I am I getting everything I want? And if so, then probably you don't need to change and and don't even think about it because it's going to be a lot of work to change. <laughs> if you have decided that you want to grow, do be different, get more out of your life, contribute more, then you have this whole set of yes, yes. That's why you're doing these things that not everybody else is doing. If someone else is saying that's stupid, that might be because they don't have the filter of mindset that they want more. Okay, back to you. <laughs> you were saying 100% and I think that's something to appreciate because entrepreneurs get very 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 frustrated like really frustrated because certain yes. things aren't moving fast enough because they get well, visionary entrepreneurs in particular <laughs> yes which we know both know lots and lots of those yes which is who we love also and that's why it's so fun because we both want to be a hero to the same person our uh, same same type of person but so it, it, yeah people whose goal is to have things be steady and complacent and the same first of all it's not your audience nor is it mine uh but there's a there's a cost to that you can get frustrated and 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 you know just again as i said impatient and all the things that go along with that as someone who's often impatient 
very familiar with that. And so, so we have these things that we want to accomplish. We're ambitious. We're or aspirational. And if you know, one of the things just to talk to what you just mentioned, Mark, is that we are observing, and we're like, oh, but if it stays the same, I'm going to get bored. One of the expressions I've always used at Coach is a bored entrepreneur is a very dangerous creature. <laughs> well, idle hands. No. We yeah, know they this. They go from yeah. being firefighters. Yeah. They go from being firefighters to arsonists. Not such a good thing. Way better to be motivated and excited by a bigger a bigger goal. But when you get, we have that bigger goal. Our picture is like, imagine a head and then to the right, imagine a star, right? That's the bigger, better goal. But as soon as you, envi- you know, envision, okay, how? And so many entrepreneurs are rugged individuals. Right, they're used to doing it themselves. The you know brute force method, hard work, slogging. That's what they're you know accustomed to, or mentally at least. Uh, but that's why Dean's you know description is so amazing, is because that's very de-energizing that process. But when you think of who, you're like, oh, someone else has already figured this out. I don't have to go through that steep learning curve. I need to find someone else who actually, <clears throat> it's their passion. If I knew it already, I'd be doing it. Right, so I need to find someone else who already has put in the time and effort and has the capability and the expertise. That's very energizing, and that's really where team building comes in. So I'm I'm passionate about entrepreneurial teams. This is this is my contribution to the entrepreneurial world, <clears throat> or at least one of them. And you know, this. So what this is an entrepreneurial team? So oh. this, yeah, what is an entrepreneurial team? <laughs> Define it in one sentence. That's it's actually. Well, no, a I, mean, team. I mean, you got two words. You know, take a couple sentences if you really, because there's two <laughs> words that have a lot of meaning. But I think they change when you put the two words together. Excellent. You're completely right. So there's a standard definition of team. I mean, most of us work in teamwork in our families, through school, in in you know regular business, corporations, bureaucracies. People are very familiar with teamwork. That level of teamwork, I am. Um, I, I, I'm not that interested in. People are doing what they're good at and they're competent at, but I'm looking for something much higher. For me, entrepreneurial teamwork is incredibly results-driven. It's not status-driven. It's about contribution, not status. It's about Very something Patrick bigger Lencioni than yourself. There, you know, the results part of the, of the pyramid. You know, it's it's yep. about the great the results are the greater good, not the selfish results. That's the big difference in, in his definition. Well, and I would <clears throat> I would totally agree. I'm a huge fan. I read everything. <laughs> By Patrick Lencioni, love him, uh, because he just really captures things in a, in a powerful way. And and you know, one of Dan's laws of lifetime growth is to always make your contribution bigger than your status. Yet in most corporations, they're set up for personal status, not for that bigger that, that thing that you know the bigger result that we're all creating together. And there's some other thinkers I could bring into tribal leadership. Well, Dave large Logan, corporations tend to have a fear-based culture because it, you're more likely to suffer a negative consequence than a positive reward for, for a contribution. So that's yes. why that's the case. You're just playing defense. You're like, you've got to make sure you're, you're strong enough reputation-wise um, very pragmatically as opposed to trusting that the strong company will take care of the strong contributors. Mm-hmm. And that's really where on, successful entrepreneurial companies with longevity come in because they have a no defense. You know, we call it no defense budget at Coach. That's one of our core values is that people can play offense. They don't have to worry about playing defense. Yeah, yeah. And so what is entrepreneurial is much more results driven, much more, you know, about all for one kind of deal. It's uh, much faster. It's And it really the teamwork is focused on people doing their unique and excellent abilities, not their excellent, competent, or incompetent abilities. So that's another, another distinction we make in terms, of, in terms of how 
larger corporations and, and smaller ones work. And when I say smaller, they're not all small, but there's a mindset that's incredibly different. So entrepreneurial teams, to my mind, work at a much higher, much faster level. They get results in a different way. And they look a little mysterious to people who are used to climbing the ladder uh, because it's much more collaborative. It's far less structure I have lists of things <laughs> that differentiate them. But an entrepreneurial team is one that is, you know, in it to win it, to use that phrase, and not so ego-driven and not so fear-based, much more abundance-minded and moves fast, which is one of my yeah. favorite things about them. Um, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me drill down on that. I haven't had to define that as tightly for a while. Well, I think it's one of those things that you probably can get, you know, you know what it is and the people who are learning it have it. Uh, but it, you could just, it's two words. You can hear it and I don't know what that means, but move on. So it's very important mm-hmm. to understand as a listener that, you know, there are flavors to the team. So I have a team, it's a healthy team. And is this an entrepreneurial company? And do I have entrepreneurial teams? And I, I, having been somebody who sat in on many different type, types of teams, I'm, I'm sure you have as well. It's a the spectrum of of, of um, collaboration and speed uh, is is very wide, and so it's not to say that a company that's or a team that's not as fast is a bad team. Uh, it just needs to be aligned with what the organization can do, wants to do, and, and the, the culture of the organization. I work with those very very fast thinking. Uh, it's very hard to sort of. Um, manufacture that I think when you say like no. you want to become a fast team and everybody's contributing and everybody's talking over each other in a way that everybody can still somehow understand what they're saying like you know what I'm talking about like everybody's sort of talking and somehow everybody gets it like I, I don't know how to recreate that I just know that I can like circle like that's awesome when you can do that don't break that that's really powerful right well and and, and by the way there are some very bureaucratic entrepreneurs out there Right. So they're very ones right. like, you have to do yeah. it my way, very top down. You know, that's not also what. So there's a mindset on the behalf of the entrepreneur. There's also a mindset that's needed in terms of the team member. Yeah. And sometimes when someone just makes the shift from a more structured environment into an entrepreneurial one, they're like, this is weird. You know, the language of business is the same. We all got cash flow clients, you name it. But the way it functions, the way it operates, and, and there's much more autonomy, much more room for contribution, more room for failure often as well. Uh, so there's that's, a different... That's you, would, the, uh, you, you stepped over. That is not a joke, right? It's how no. many entrepreneurs say, like, you need to feel, you know, feel comfortable failing. And like, when the failure comes, it's whack. It's like, okay, I'm not, yeah. I am not, I heard what you said, but how you treated me when that happened, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, you're like, mm, you got to walk your talk on that one. Well, and, and I, so I have a whole entrepreneurial attitude exercise I created because I was trying to coach people who had come, had that other mindset, the more what they were used to, what they were trained in, working for entrepreneurs and going, what the heck just happened? I just, I just entered the twilight zone and on <laughs> <laughs> and you know, an alternate universe. And so when I kind of explain people to each other, they're like, oh, now I get it. And then some people really, you know, thrive in this environment and other people don't. And they need to go work for a more structured type of, of organization, which is great. I'm very happy they exist and it's just no, it's not for me. But I'm, well, exactly. you know, we just so need the, to be where we're supposed to be. So we're kind of painting this picture of, you know, bureaucracy and entrepreneurial as though kind of it's a qualitative it's difference. A and for you... And to some extent, for me, uh, it, it is. I, I, I want that that fast pace. But the the way that I in my session room, I with my clients, look, I got all these tools, but I only have one rule, 
And here's the rule. Mm. If it works, do more of it. And if it doesn't work, do less of it. And so Love that rule. Love so that rule. <laughs> we really have, it's like if, if if there's a bureaucratic feel, uh, you know, tell me why that's bad. If you've got an answer, let's fix that. If if there's no answer, if it's working, if we've got a culture that's aligned to that, we're really are making our best contribution and this is how we're comfortable in in the in all the best ways. Like that's your way, and that's how we're we're going to bring people in the organization who want that, who can thrive in that, and can help you meet your mission. And we're going to tell people who want to be in a different space at a different speed that that's not the place for them, and that and it leads to happiness for everyone when we do that. <laughs> it totally does, and that's what we want. Yeah, we yeah. want people to be in their right place. And in a, it's interesting because I'm all for systems. I really, I like systems at work. I don't want people having to walk in being a hero every day. Dan and I did a fun podcast on this. You don't want someone at the electric company having to be a hero. Something really bad's happened, if that's the case. So there's a lot of right. things in a business right. that need to run. But, you know, back to who, not how. This is about how do we make things better? You know, how do we, you know, certain things you want to run smoothly, and that should give you the platform to innovate. Because if we're not innovating at some point, we will fall behind. The marketplace will proceed past us and so freeing yourself to, uh, self up to be able to innovate and then putting the new team around you that will help you know make sure th- this new idea is walking and talking before you give it back to your systems people because they're only they're only want to they're only want to function with the ideas that are tested thank you very much they have enough on their plate already um, who not how really sets you up to to make sure that you are not exhausting yourself but also reaching out and finding the incredible talent that our world has much more easily available to us than even 20 years ago, you know, with our 8 billion people that are now digitally connected, you know, it's way easier. Well, there's a lot more talent, not always easier to get to uh, out there, but how are you, are you tapping into all the amazing who's that are out there? All of a sudden, when, when you think about all the talent, you're like, oh, my goals are far more possible and, and doable more easily than ever before. So that's why I think it's so exciting for aspirational and ambitious entrepreneur. It's kind of the the easier, faster, easier, cheaper, bigger path to your goals, which is why it's so well, exciting. Well, it is uh, conceptually, and it is yeah, actually, yeah. but let's talk about where the mind is doubtful, uh, particularly for people who have... Uh, been to, I've, I was told at one point, and I'm and I'm still not exactly sure of the accuracy of this, but I think bringing up the, the concept is at least thought provoking. That some people were socialized with this concept of value coming from internal skills. Like the more knowledge I have, the better I am. The more of a craftsman, the more valuable I am. And everything I need to do to create value needs to start with me. And there's other people who are socialized to this belief that value comes from relationships, and that the better and more cultivated your network of relationships are, the the higher sense of value you have. And I've had people certainly challenge that in the, in the hybrid of that. And I believe in the end to be a truly successful entrepreneur, you have to have some sense of, of managing both. And it is a recipe mm-hmm. of that. But I do think that it's worth having the conversation because I, they, they do kind of compete with each other. Um, if you're like, how do I create value? And is it by getting better, getting smarter, being being more me, or looking outside myself? And, and this whole who not how thing really goes directly to the the relationship side the people side of this and um i there's a couple of a couple of spots that i think people get stuck one could be in this like you know i'm just used to being a uh, technician first and then there's other people who are kind of stuck on budget and that and then they which 
kicks them back into play. It's like, well, I'd love to hire that amazing marketing person, but I can't afford them. And so I've got to be the amazing marketing person. So, so let's, 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 what is the thought process of who, not how, how should someone who's sort of like going, what, what is, what is who, not how, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to plant the seed. How should someone start thinking differently today? And then, and let's kind of follow the thread about what those obstacles start to look like. Great. I will do that. And then I have an, um, remind me to describe a model of what we call the fundamental relationship, which kind of integrates both of those two things. Cause okay, I think okay. that would be enough fun, a fun riff. Um, so this is where, and again, thing to appreciate about most entrepreneurs that I, that I know and probably that you know too, is they're incredibly resourceful. And if anyone's a fan of Dr. Brad Smart and top grading resourceful is the number one characteristic of a, what's what he calls an A player. And his work's been continued by his son, Jeff. And so it's great. So you've got seven hours a week and X dollars to spend to, on your marketing person. Who's the best person you can get at that pay grade, you know, you know, to do that with seven hours a week? It's, you could probably think of someone. And it's kind of interesting because my, we were talking about our daughters earlier and my daughter's working for a startup and she's hiring people and, and it's her first full-time job and she's going to be managing them, which is crazy. Uh, her name's Madison, by the way. And that's just, I, I kind of asked her, I'm like, you're getting some really talented people. It's like, yeah, this is kind of like their side hustle. And they've, I've got seven. I'm like, you don't have much budget. She goes, nope, the startup, startup, helping other startups. Yeah, yeah. And she's getting these incredibly capable people. So uh, most of it, frankly, it starts with the mindset. If you put a million obstacles in front of yourself, no, you will not ever find them. Dan has this great expression that's actually, I was going to say tattooed. It's not tattooed. It's a sign that's <laughs> walk into our strategic coach offices. If you could do that right now, which you can't uh, during lockdown, is it says your eyes only see and your ears only hear what your brain is looking for. Yeah. So if you are looking for hows, you're going to find all the hows. And if you're looking for whos, you're going to find the whos. So the first thing to really appreciate is if you have the mindset that this actually is a possibility, then you will start to go, oh, you know what? I think so-and-so's cousin does that. Or that person I met last week at the store. Or, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, my my sister's, you know, brother, well, my brother-in-law does. You know, there's someone that you know. I'm yeah. not always suggesting hiring relatives, by the way. But it is, it's kind of interesting. You will, like, who do I know? All of a sudden, that's a very different question to answer. And the brain cannot ignore a question. So just even having the mindset, I would say, is number one. The other thing is, there's a lot of people available. Um, now, I know people who get stuck, and I close friend and colleague of mine is helping someone else figuring exactly what the who looks like. Um, and, you know, the person has to be perfect. So they're going through a quite an iterative process to get that sorted. But he knows, and by the way, this is this person's been in the program for three and a half years. He's finally putting his who, not how team in place. and But he can figure out the investment to your point earlier. He can hire some, he's going to put a team of about three super capable people. So there's a, a dollar figure with that. But he figured out how much more he can make in terms of what he can then produce. And it's in the order of millions. Wow. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, the investment, what's the return? And and this goes back to, it's interesting, Mark, because you're asking great questions, which is how most of our entire strategic coach concept library got created, is do, do we think about team members or who's as investments or costs, right? If you have a cost mindset that, you know, and by the way, what are we all trying to do with costs? We try and reduce them. 
You're not a good yeah, business sure. person if you try and maximize your costs. That would be the road to unprofitability. None of us want to do that. Uh, but if we have the mindset of it's an investment, you're like, okay, what's what kind of return can I get? And let me take a pretty simple example. And I can't take credit for this expression. I don't know who came up with it, but it's genius. So for a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll hire a you know head of marketing, they'll hire head of operations, they'll hire salespeople, they'll hire a million other team members before they will hire themselves an assistant. We call it, I call it a strategic assistant. That's our term at Coach. Okay. And it's like, well, you know, I can do this stuff. I'll make my travel arrangements. You know, I can manage email, usually between 9 and 11 at night, you know, but whatever. They do that. And and finally, I heard the expression, it's like, if you don't have an assistant, you are one. Yeah. And it's one of those things (laughs) where it's like, you're probably incredibly highly paid, and you probably do a really crappy job at that type of a task. And... You know, so some of us are the worst, highest paid, worst possible assistants because we don't love those tasks. We're not good at that. Our, you know, we both know Colby profiles. We you know our Colbys aren't suited to those type of, of tasks. And you could hire someone really, really good for a fraction of what you would you would pay. And you know, I know people who've added, you know, out of one person they hired for forty five thousand dollars, made four hundred and fifty thousand dollars more in one year. So, so that, that, that that thinking is, I want to pause on that because there's a, there's yeah. some traps that I think people lead themselves down to that looks like it's going down that path but creates problems. And so, mm-hmm. you familiar with Mike Michalowicz? No. And he has a series of books, and one of them is called uh, Profit First. And oh uh, yeah, it's, okay. it's a it's a really really it was really helpful to me to, in terms of how I manage my finances in terms of letting things leak out. But he talks about this concept that I'm sure someone's got a lot deeper science on the, than I have. But it was very enlightening for me. And it's what I, my terminology is: uh, constrained innovation versus unconstrained innovation. And unconstrained innovation is like if I've got limitless inputs can I get more back on my dollars? And most visionaries are very comfortable with like, well, if, if I spend a dollar and I get a dollar 20 back, that's a good investment, right? Well, what happens in practicality is that I do that over and over again. And my math might've been emotional math. And it might not have been actual math. And, and when I, when I do, when I get to the end of the road, somehow I didn't make any money. And so, uh, oh, so this idea of everything is an investment starts to get labeled by people outside of a visionary entrepreneur is just kind of, frivolous thinking and mm. and it and it has a lot to do with lack of math uh, that goes with it but it's just, it's natural it's normal it's from it's the 20 if we talk about the visionary entrepreneur with 20 ideas before breakfast one of them is amazing 19 not quite ready and and that's that's part of that thinking mccallowitz talks about like look here if you if you cap your money that you're going to spend and you don't use any of this funny logic that if i exceed that i'll get more, even more back and it'll pay off in the future you just say look i only got 2000 bucks uh, mm-hmm. you don't you don't say like well this 3000 bucks is going to pay me 6000 bucks you say like i've only got 2000 bucks which means i don't have to make some choices about where i spend my money which means yeah. if i spend 1000 here and 1000 there i got 0 dollars left but i still got this problem mm-hmm. what's amazing to your point is what we discover is sometimes you can solve the problem with 0 dollars because this innovation, as a visionary entrepreneur, you can do some crazy things. You can make impossible uh, things happen with this constrained innovation approach. That uh, so, I, I encourage people who say like, "I don't have the budget. How am I going to hire this person?" So, look, you know, write the budget down as zero and go solve it anyway. Who's a friend of yours? Who's the expert? Will they take some time? Do you, do you need them on the payroll, or do you need thirty minutes with them on the phone to to solve exactly. this problem? Yes. Well, I actually think that constraint 
causes innovation much right. much yeah. much better yeah. it's like you know this you know well peter diamandis you know the whole ch- x prize and, and challenge you know it happens be, you know the x prize contests that they have have incredible constraints and the ingenuity that comes out of it is spectacular. So I don't know that actually you get successful innovations without some constraints. And I haven't I, heard I this particular right. version, but I love it. Uh, and it makes total sense. And there's, there's, I did a podcast with a, a friend of mine who actually um, does help people hire by coincidence. But he, he talks through his process of how he only had this much money. It wasn't zero dollars, but it wasn't mm-hmm. very much when he was building his business. And uh, I think it's on my team success podcast, but he talks about, okay, I had this much money and this many dollars. And then I, he, the term emotional math, I'm totally borrowing that if you don't mind. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, laughing out I, loud. I feel like I invented it. So <laughs> I, I think you did. I, I will totally give you credit. I mean, Mark. the actual concept of like, you know, it's, I know it doesn't work out in your math, but in my emotional math, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> Which I totally get. That's why I'm laughing so hard. It's a genius term. Uh, but he talks about, and he's not hes not that emotional math person. He talks about he, how each stage of the investment that he made leveraged him to the next point. And so, and, and I remember this. And just to tell you my own quick story. So, and this is funny. This is going back to the beginning. So, I was a salesperson, a strategic coach. Um, and I shared a part-time person. So, I had like a quarter of a human. Okay, that was devoted to my right, task. Right, right. Yeah. So my colleague Susan wanted to hire somebody. Again, I was little back then. Uh, she wanted to hire somebody else. And she said, Shannon, can you take over this person? Her name was Anon, Anon Kim, um, by yourself. And I was like, <laughs> scared. I was biting my fingernails. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I have enough work. I don't know if I have enough, I don't know if I have enough cash flow. I was like, ah. You know, because she was kind of managing this person up until now. So this is my first team hire ever. So it took me about a week, week and a half. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. This was complete what we call commitment and courage, part of our four C's. So I was like scared. And you know you're in the courage phase of something when your stomach feels pretty queasy. You're like, oh, gosh, what have I just committed myself to? But then then that creates capabilities really fast. So I took a nod on myself. Again, now I had a whole part-time person to myself. Yeah. And two weeks later, I said, Anon, how soon can you go full-time? So the leverage that she provided me when I got more of her incredible talent, she was just a phenomenal human being. Um, and I'd already tested her. And you also, when you hire someone, you only pay someone every two weeks. So it's like you get the chance to modify. It's not like you put money into penny stocks or something where you have no control. So you have control over this person um, and their activities and their communication. And so, you know, and, and she was my first full-time employee and she was genius. And then I built my team up to five other people. So it, I did, all I can tell you is it works. And a lot of, I know a lot of people listening, you're like, okay, that was a few years ago for me too, Shannon. So, but it's like, who's the next who, you know, what's, what's the idea that you have where it's like, okay, if I don't, I'm going to say stuck with this idea in six months from now, if I don't do anything about it, I'm going to be really annoyed, especially if the market goes and tells me that idea would have been really good about three months ago. And you're right. still stuck with it because you haven't figured out the who. Um, you're going to be annoyed with yourself. And so it's just a matter of, I love the idea of putting the, you know, the price to zero. Who, how can you do it? Because that will absolutely spur your brain. And I know every, you you listening will go, yep done that. I had similar experience. I found this person. They gave me a half hour of their time. My one hour over here made a huge difference to the trajectory of my business. So you, you, you've already had the experience of doing it and that those constraints are not bad. They're good. 
and then well, so you will lead, the lead you away from exa- emotional math. Yeah, for sure. The zero dollar example is just an example of how sort of extreme it can be. But it's, that's not the whole story. I mean, Greg Crabtree, do you know Greg Crabtree? He, he's got a book about it. He was the first one I ever worked with who talked about um, the salary cap. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, let's talk about the NFL. The best team and the worst team. What's, you know, what's the difference and what's the similarity? The difference is one is performing at a super high level, one is struggling to get out the door. <laughs> and yeah. What's the similarity? <laughs> they got the same amount of money to work with. So yeah. it's it's about how they make that happen, and so and so that's sort of resourcing as entrepreneurs anyway. How many days or how many uh, how many hours do you have in the day compared to Steve Jobs? Oh, about twenty four. <laughs> same exactly. same number. Exactly. So, so we have to innovate with, within those constraints, and if and if we it can ex- the sooner we can accept that, the the faster we can put the innovation and the thinking and the pattern matching into that space because that's really the only place that that magic happens. Second, I also had, as you were describing the assistant, I realized that, um, you know, two pieces to this, that if you're looking for that next high value hire, which is probably pretty expensive, if you hire an assistant, that's the lowest cost way of getting that high value hire because that high value hire is you. Yes. It's very theoretical because... That the next step, and you talk about the courage, you move into this real existential question, which for some people might not be, you know, probably is very comfortable to a point, and a point, and, and that point ends with, at some point, is like, am I the right guy, right person for that? Okay, it's like I'm about to hire me to do that job by in the form of hiring an assistant to take some things off my plate. Am I up to that? Especially if it's something that's new, which probably, as I'm thinking this through, it has a two-sided um, question. One is like, am I just scared and I'm up to the challenge, uh, and I or or I need to get myself get myself up to the challenge, or is this another who question? Am I putting versus how? Like I'm trying to, I'm gonna hire, I'm the guy who can fix anything, so I'm gonna hire an assistant, give myself some time back, and I'll become the expert at whatever, which might be a how-based mindset that -hmm. could take us down a path of like, actually, that seems like a good idea because I'm always the person who solves all the big problems, but in actuality, there's somebody who actually could do this way better, way faster, and don't keep going back to the well of myself because that's going to run out of steam. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that. I know, I'm sorry, I do that. (laughs) Okay, I like it. I was just—I was just reading about Faulkner when he, when, you know, the writer who just packs a lot into paragraphs and reminds me of that. Um, but there's a couple points here. One is that you know, just to pick the last one first, in terms of the how, there's a little bit of a. a, a there's, again, it goes back to mindset. But once you start to leverage yourself, you're like, oh, this is kind of addictive. I really actually like this. I like being freed up. I, I, and don't forget, being a visionary is in fact your role. Is your role actually to do the hows or to figure out all the hows? Probably not. Your goal is to come up with the need in the marketplace. You know, we don't create stuff out of nothing. We create because of of who we care about, our audience. You know, there's a need out there that we see could be, we could fulfill or help fulfill. And then, and then, so that's our job. Our job is to really, really, really know what our clientele, the people that we care most about in terms of our marketplace, our audience, needs, wants, desires, what they're struggling with. And then how can we come up with some solutions that would figure out what are, what are the solutions? Not even how. What are the solutions? And then you have to figure out how am I going to get those done? Well, are you going to do it yourself or are you going to do it through other who's? 
that's really the difference in perspective that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but once you get onto this who thing, you're kind of hooked because the game is like, oh, okay, I don't, because I've done my job. My job is to figure out what needs to happen. Then you start to populate it with the right who's. And by the way, this does end up sounding like a Dr. Seuss book after a while. It's kind of funny. You want to go <laughs> to Evan Costello? It can, be Evan, it, can be, it can be Evan Costello or <laughs> totally, Dr. Seuss. Totally, yeah. Um, I think is is really key. Um, and and there is a certain amount of knowledge and, and stuff that you want to go back to your other points. Like you do want to have your hands around it. You don't want to delegate. It's like, oh, here's my idea. Catch. And throw the you know the ball far down the field and have no idea where it's going. Um, so we've got a tool for that at Coach called the Impact Filter. Uh, but really, it's it's you know figuring out. You need to know enough of it to know exactly what the result is that you want, and then it's figuring out who wants to collaborate with you. How can you tap it in, tap into that? And frankly, there are a lot of people out there. This is the difference between who, not how, and delegation. Um, is that who, not how, you're actually looking for someone who is superior, who is better at it than you yeah, are, okay. who has I'm a passion for it. Right. So delegation, one of our coaches, was his name is Russell, was really funny. And I was in the discussion that we were talking about this. He said, no, here's the interesting thing about who, not how. I say who, not how to my clients that I have been coaching on delegation for 20 years. They're like, oh, delegating is so hard because it looks like a how, right? Yeah. And it's kind of some of the obstacles you bring up. It's like, ugh. People, they're a pain. I've got payroll. I've got this. I've got you know all the all the obstacles to, to delegating. But then you put you say who not how they're like oh, fantastic. I'm on it. And Russell's like really, you know. <laughs> but it's this whole other approach when you actually look for someone who is has a passion and is skilled at it, has a unique ability for it, rather than our kind of like stop and start and, and difficulty and obstacle approach to it. It looks like making who, not how, just is so much more strategic. And well, so that's I'm, ultimately, I think, what, what has people engage in who, not how. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think, though, now, t- test me on this and, and challenge because yeah. I'm thinking this for the first time. So I do think it is very synonymous with LMA, leadership management and accountability type of thinking in, in EOS. Um, not a, not in, there's more to it than that. So when I mm-hmm. my big epiphany around LMA as a skill set was watching – Watching the gardeners, watching the, the people do my lawn, I just was struck by how different the skill set of mowing the lawn is. This is going to sound ridiculous, but it was a big epiphany for me. <laughs> it's like I mowing it. the lawn is so different than me in my house looking out the window at people mowing the lawn, wondering, are these the right people? Do they have, do they have my best interests at heart? Is this, do, they have the, do they share the core values? And I was like, there is almost no relationship between the skill of pushing a mower and making a choice of who to hire. And and I and so I think a lot of people sort of perceive a continuum. I'm a manager, and I'm a manager of technicians. And as I migrate to you know being a leader of them, it's it's related. It's like it's not related at all. And for you to really get into a true leadership management and accountability mindset, you kind of have to push all this hands-on work out of the way yeah. and observe and, and build an entirely new skill set of of how is this working? How does this? How do the systems interact with each other? How do the people communicate? And, and it's just—it's a—the observation power is so different, and it becomes this question of the who, not how thing. Is do I have a problem? If so, what is it? And in thinking of the who side of this, as opposed to internalizing it and me changing myself internally, and so it, it is a little bit 
constrained from a standard leadership position. But when you take that same mindset back to the visionary or even the integrator for that matter, it's you kind of have this same perspective that's opened up to the universe because as a, as a leadership as a leader of sales you're probably trying to solve sales problems in a sales lane that are you know it's it's you can kind of understand the breadth of the of, of the topic but if you're a visionary or even an integrator like it's the problems you're trying to encounter can kind of be anywhere anything anytime and so you're to your point like it's so much more than delegation when it's so much more than delegation, if you if you have the potential of conquering the universe, but potentially tackling any problem in the universe, it becomes ex- exponentially more powerful thinking. It totally does, and I think it's. It, I think it really. You know, it's kind of those macro and micro concepts. I would love team members to think this way too. You know, and 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 here's how to know when when the where the edge is, which is a little bit what you've been. My my interpretation referring to when when do you find a who like when is it necessary yeah. right it's when your energy starts to fall off a cliff for that particular type of activity or task so it's like when you take it as far as you can and you're like okay I'm done and most of us have that point where we're like can I just stop now <laughs> you know now entrepreneurs have kind of run over that tripwire enough time so that it's kind of depressed into the ground but there is a point where because it's because we're just used to the brute force you know, get it done mode. But there is a point where you're like, oh, it'd be great, really great if someone else could help me help me with this. And and team members experience this too. I was went for a walk this morning with one of my colleagues who we live close by, and uh, socially distanced, of course. And it was, you know, there's a part she has some amazing ideas, but she's going she needs another who in the company to help her take it the next step. Is she going to pay that person? No, they're already being paid, right? But right, right. she needs to have that same mindset so that she can get that innovation that would streamline our processes, you know, into play. So we, it, again, it goes back to it, definitely from the visionary and the integrator role, they need to look at it from that kind of big macro standpoint and to get the holistic view and the observing. Great, great way to describe that. But then everyone else also needs to go like, okay, who's my who? You know, and there's always those go-to people in the company. Well, they're the who's for a lot of people. You know, and then you've got your super straight, you know, super capable technician that's really good at only one thing. And they're your one expert on that. That's your go-to person for that one type of activity. So I think if we just have this lens through which to look at things, there'll be a lot less, a lot fewer silos, a lot a lot more leadership management and accountability, to be honest, because we'll be doing our part, but we'll also be in much better collaboration and teamwork with others. That ultimately is what this is about. It's about collaboration and teamwork and how can we maximize the capabilities and talents of the people we have available to us, either internally or externally. Well, yeah, so that's that's great clarification. It is, you know, we may we may have access to these people already. They may be paying them maybe giving them something they want to do. Uh, we might already know them. Uh, they might not, we not, they might not take that much time to give you your answer. Like if you're going to go to work and you're like, well, for me, this will be three weeks worth of work. And I love asking the question of, so this problem ever been solved before? Never. Right. Never, never. It's like, <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, never. It's like, we, we don't, our employees aren't engaged. Yep. No one's ever solved that problem. Oh, we, <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. that, that, this this is solved thousands if not millions of times over and there's probably somebody who could off you know <laughs> just like on the way out the door yeah yeah just do this goodbye click 
as opposed to you just like yeah. pouring through books and reading and trying. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I I think the. I, I hear kind of a danger uh, in this of like, you know, when do I go, who, not how? Because I, I really heard this as like, always. <laughs> you know, like yeah. your first question should, when something hits your desk is like, who besides me should do this? <laughs> you know, it should, yeah. should be, I'm going to assume that I should basically never do anything. And it, and it, you're going to have to convince <laughs> me that I'm actually the right person. And if that's the case, then fine, I'll do it. But, but to really build a scaled, powerful organization as somebody who's humble, the presumption should be that there's somebody I need to go find that at the right price at the right time, we'll be able to knock mm-hmm. this out of the park in an appropriate way. Yes, yes, and yes <laughs> to all of those things. No, I think I think that's exactly it. And and but it's also not assuming that we're not the person to do the house for a few things, right? There are so few let's go there. How do you size that? Because yeah. I think those people who are how biased, like me, uh, all you got to do is say like, yeah, this one's for you, and I'm distracted, and I'm back to howing. I'm back to building my craft. Okay, so this goes back to your other key point that we need to unpack. Um, so yeah, there are a few things. There are a few things that this is your unique ability. Okay. So, so quick definition of unique ability. It is what you are, have superior skill at. All right. So there are some things you put in the time you built your craft. The difference between excellence and unique is that you also have a passion for it. You love it. And because of that, you can always see room to get better, right? Because you're like, Oh, I, I know this now, but then there, then the horizon can goes further away like but then there's this um which paradoxically can make you feel like you're not very good at something which is untrue and also it gives you energy you are fueled at the end of the day you might be physically tired like you know you could probably do two or three podcasts a day you're like man that was fun i need to get up and walk around and see nature again but you know it's energizing talking to people i love it and at the end of the day i mean what happens to me is like it's six o'clock and i'm like I can't keep my eyes open. What happened? What am I okay? Am I getting sick? <laughs> it's like no. <laughs> I'm really confused. I'm always like, what happened? What's going on? I thought I got sleep last night. What's up? And, yeah. and, it's, and it's like, oh, I had an energizing day. So, so there's a part of you that's super like jazzed and energized, and you're like on fire. And those are probably like physically, you could be tapped out, right? You're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> no more brainwaves. Uh, but that's unique ability is it uses you up in the best possible way. But, you know, we have a fun model and I'm, no one can see me gesturing here, but you know, the outer circle, all these things we try to do and we're not very good at, that's what we call incompetent. So you put in the time and effort, you don't get the result. Don't get too hung up on the word. Then there's things at which we're adequate and okay, which frankly is a gigantic amount of of things. Um, But other people are just as good. So there's competition, which I don't like to compete. I'd rather just win is my personal philosophy. And then there's things at which we are... (laughs) (laughs) Two words right there in the middle. Just win. Okay. Just win. I love it. You and I think alike. Um, And then there's excellent. These are the things where we have put in the time, we have put in the effort, and we've reached some success. And it's interesting because those are also the things you were probably super excited about three, five, ten years ago. But now you're like, okay, what's new? Right? This is is your bigger, better goal. But now, and, and there's... So now you've progressed and you've grown. That's why the circle keeps getting smaller. There are a few things, a few activities, a few, you know, for some people, by the way, their technical skill is relationships is one one other thought I had when you were talking earlier is that you're like, okay, this is what I really want to focus on doing. You know, this is my major contribution and I, and that I can go deep on and expand forever, but it's what I love to do and passionate about gives me energy and I can always see room to get better. 
So though that's what you that's where you're the who. Does that make sense? That's where yeah, you're that's sure. your how. You know, you're going to have conversations, Mark, to put people at ease, to reach out to folks, to create really fascinating information that will people help people move their lives ahead. Not everyone could do that. Not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone's willing to put the time and effort and just build their talent if they have any to be able to do that. So that's one of your unique abilities. You know, I have mine and I'm very confident in the areas where I'm strong and and hopefully incredibly humble about everything else. So there's so many more things I'm bad at than the few things I'm good at. Thank goodness I'm good at a few. Um, but the rest of it, I'm like, I need help. So there's so finding who's for things I, I know I'm not good at. I could put a lot of time and energy into it. Frankly, it's a really poor use of money and time. So let's talk and about I'm, unique I'm ability. Committed to not and, wasting and, that. And, sorry to step on you there. I no, want to talk ahead. about unique ability uh, in, in the context of um, how – adaptable and how broadly people can seem successful. Uh, and, and what I mean specifically is that I have observed through the years that people who approach themselves humbly and minimalistically, they say, look, I'm only good at one thing. You know, I don't like people and I, and I like numbers and, I, and, and, and those people see the track record for them is very high. They, they had no illusion that they, could do things outside of their lane and they become mm-hmm. usually very successful. And even the business leaders are like, you know, who run technical businesses who are self-described technologically clueless run killer technical businesses because yep. yep. they just automatically, they're like, look, I have to delegate. I couldn't possibly do that. And they've uh, hooded myself. themselves up. They've hooded yeah. themselves up because they have sure. to. They had yeah. to. So then, the, then the flip side of people who are like, look, I, I've kind of proven that I can kind of learn anything. Uh, given you know, I have I have a mathematical mind, and I these people, not that I would self-identify with this, <laughs> uh, that uh, become very adaptable to the point of what's the word I'm looking for? Self-defeat. That uh, I, I'm I'm I don't know my own limits to the point of like I find them in the worst possible way. Like I grind myself out in terms of energy and time. It's like Mark, you know, it looked successful. That's probably because I, 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 I really am careful about this subject because it, it starts to sound like I think I'm so smart, but I'm really trying to say like like it didn't work, guys. Like, like if you think it sounds like I'm self congratulating, I'm telling you it doesn't work. Uh, and what I believe happens is there's some sense of adaptability, some capability that leads me down the path of thinking I can be great at this, and then in the end I'm spread too thin, and the quality isn't. Well, it doesn't even matter the quality. The result isn't yeah. isn't what I want. I leave something mm-hmm. stop short, and I see a lot of people, a lot of visionaries who kind of ex- expect to get a hundred percent of that out of themselves at all times, can conquer anything, and and lack this skill and reflex to enroll other people in the vision freely, quickly, in in a diverse way. So, speak to the power of unique ability and how people should think about that, because that's real. That's a that's a strategic coach thing. It's a powerful thing, and I think it deserves some attention right now. Absolutely. Well, first of all, it we t- we tend to grind it out when we're not confident that we have a unique ability. And the world does not teach you to be unique. The world teaches you to be, you know, competent at everything and really good at a couple. That's what the world rewards, right? So you are, I want everyone to appreciate, you too, Mark, that you are going against gravity when you are figuring out your unique ability. It is not the normal conversation. Your teachers didn't go, oh my gosh, you did so well over here. Don't worry about math or don't worry about English. 
They're like, what happened over here? They're yeah. only focusing on yeah. what, what did not go well. So this is this is a different conversation. So I would just lay the blame stuff. This is kind of Marcus right, Buckingham, right Buckingham kind of a Gallup uh, totally. strengths-based approach. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, show me someone's Colby profile, which if anyone doesn't know, how it's K-O-L-B-E if you go to look it up. Show me their strengths finder, and I could give you a pretty good assessment of you know what how they're going to show up or how they could show up. Um, now, there's a lot more to it. Uh, so in terms, so the, it's a, there's a couple things. One is self-awareness to me is absolutely essential in this process. And frankly, everyone will burn themselves out until they realize, oh, I have a limit, right? And entrepreneurs are not famous for finding limits early. They oh, no. I was in my 40s before I really yeah. had some hard conversations in therapy that, uh, that, that really put the mirror up and said, look, you are not actually Superman. Like there yeah. actually is a limit yeah. somewhere and you're at it and you need to, yeah. to, to make, to make some different decisions right now because yeah. it, this is really creating problems for you and your family. The world will give you a course correction. Your body will give you a course correction. You know, at some point someone's going to take your head and slam it against some you know, two by four concrete and go stop because you're doing yourself or others harm. And, yeah. and, and people without those checks and balances, those are the out of control people. Um, and we see them. You know, they, they certainly exist. So if you can get into awareness about, and there's actually, I want to talk about the three parts of the mind because I think this is such a, a good model for me when I'm coaching people. So if we think of it this way, you have the cognitive part of you. This is your intellect, your skills, your training, your bandwidth. It's also how you've educated yourself, what, your, you know, what you've invested the time to learn. So it's your knowledge base. It's also your brain. Um, and then there's your, how you feel about things. In psychological terms, it's called your affective part of you. And this is measured by profile, like cognitive is IQ tests and SAT and all those things. And then there's personality, of which I've done a ton. But some of my favorite, Strengths Finder Disc, there's one called Print, which is a cousin of Enneagram, mm -hmm. just that helps you figure out how you're put together, what you care about, what you're passionate about, what your preferences are. I love all of those. And then there's what Colby measures, which is something called conative. This is your will. So you've got can, which is your head. You've got want, which is your heart. And then you've got will, which is kind of your gut. So this is, and it measures, it's an incredibly accurate measure of, um, of your mental energy, how it plays out. So you and I, Mark, both are what's called a two on follow through. So this means we can chuck and jive and adapt and go a million different directions because there was no plan in the first place. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have a beginning time and end time. And after that, we can go off-roading the entire time and be completely happy. Um, for someone who's a much, a ton more mental energy for follow-through, they need to know the steps. They need to not skip any. They want to go through the process. And then there's people kind of in the middle. So what Colby measures is how your mental energy plays out. It's incredibly accurate. It's the most brilliant tool for teamwork ever. Um, but my point is, well, in, to yours, is that your unique ability is when you really know yourself, like it actually starts with what you care about. We're only going to learn and be super intelligent about those things that we care about. Right. So have you fed your brain? You know, have you tapped into what you care about or have you subsumed that to somebody else or someone else or some other structure? And then finally, is, is what you're doing aligned with how you naturally strive and take action? It's volition. So a healthy, happy, productive human being in my understanding and assessment this far in my life is when the cognitive is aligned with the affective and aligned with the cognitive. Or in other words, your head, heart and gut 
are all going in the same direction at the same time. But it takes some self-awareness. It takes hitting that wall sometimes to be able to ascertain what that means. You know, it's what you do, how you do it, and for whom is, you know, how we kind of figure out your unique ability statement and then activities. Um, But it's critical. And entrepreneurs don't really ever get happy until they figure that out. So you mentioned the Unique Ability 2.0, just colon discovery is the full name of the book. And it's great because I, um, my name's on the book, but I, it's really because I helped with the first version. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm assuming it's Kath- the second version really uh, capitalized on what came from the first it's, one. So. It's, yeah, it, it totally does. But Julia created this, Julia Waller, my sister, um, is an eight follow through, by the way, and put together this incredible process and then notebook. It is like sitting down, because she's a unique ability coach for coach clients, is like sitting down and walking you through that process, kind of as you alluded to. And it's amazing. It's like taking, it's like Julia sitting in a coffee shop with you going over this. You know, we use tools like Colby Strengths Finder to help put language around what you already know about yourself. And it's amazing. And it gives you such freedom to A, go deeper into things that you love to do and are best at, but also freedom from stuff that you have been trying so hard and expending so much energy and hitting that wall. You kind of have permission now to like, oh, that's not why I was put here. That's not my purpose on the planet. Um, my purpose is my unique ability to, to really have a powerful impact on people that I care about using my, my talents. You can describe them however you want. Um, and, and I can be free from having to do everything. That's kind of a very long answer to your question but or to your comment. But it, that's, that's how I look at it. And so profiles are just shortcuts as far as I'm concerned to help give you language around those things. It's stuff that you know already. You can There's a long or the short version to figure it out. Uh, but those are the ones that are the most accurate and fastest that I'm that I'm familiar with. And by the way, there's zero financial connection between any of this. So I just have found the tools that I think are best yeah, and work yeah, sure. the most quickly. Yeah. So if you can align your head, your heart, and your will um, to take care of your, your best audience, you're going to be productive and happy. And then you'll be very clear on where you don't want to give away stuff and where you need to involve other who's. The technicians you talked about have an advantage because they know that they're they have unique abilities. I had a conversation. Dan talked about this too the other day. We, we all have unique disabilities. Why would, if we're going to have unique abilities, we have things we shouldn't be doing. Why is that a weird thought? No, it I shouldn't love it, be a actually. weird thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. There's one other piece of validation that might be convincing to some people. And I like you, like finding interesting, cool people to talk to. And so I had a chance to interview Lewis Schiff on his book, Business Brilliant. And then he and his colleague, who's Russ Allen Prince, who's brilliant at surveying, super, super brilliant dude. Um, they surveyed all these people, over from middle class up to ultra high net worth um, human beings, which is kind of like 30 million and above. And so they asked them the question, how many things are you good at? Mm. So this is kind of to our point. So people in the middle class, which is, I think was at that point was just under a million in, in net worth. They said, oh, I'm really good at like, four or five things. You know, I'm really, really good at those things. And then they asked the ultra high net worth starting at 30 million and above. And they said, oh, and the average is they would say, well, I'm really only, I'm only good at 1.9 things. 1.9, less than two. Less than two. So, so it's like this whole of like the, 
in some ways I'm a generalist, but you really, you actually want to specialize. You want to focus on those one or two things that you are put on the planet to do. That's your gift. That's your contribution. And then just be very attuned to teamwork for everything else that needs to get done to make your ideas happen. Does that, does that resonate? Does that make sense? It, it, re- it resonates. And well, at one end of the spectrum, I think there's some people who did feel like they, they they were seeking something they were good at. For whatever reason, life told them they weren't good yeah. at that many things. And when they found something they were good at it, they held on yeah. to it. Those people generally don't struggle with this question that we're trying to wrestle with. Yeah. The Play people who felt capable were told that they were capable, uh, maybe put expectations on them. Lots of shoulds, lots of ex- external validation required um, creates this whole no, set of noise of all the things that can be good. People who feel talented or told they're talented suddenly have fishing poles in every pond. And um, yeah. and as you describe that, I'm thinking this is, may seem far afield. I think of um, talented either artists, particularly artists. Like uh, if there's somebody who is a great actor, and and you come to find out they also can sing or um, they were a tennis pro, or they were, uh, or they have a business on the side. A couple of things can kind of come from that. So you can kind of dismiss it as like they're, they're leveraging their platform. Or what I've discovered is these people are actually legitimately talented uh, mm-hmm. at these things. And, and for a lot of reasons, they, they, have mul- they have multiple sets of talents. And what, you, what I observe is like whether they – I don't know whether they would answer the question low or high, but after having you, you describe it, I, I think the – I have heard enough people that if you if you look at people with it looks looks like they've got four or five talents. If you ask them, they'll say one or two because yeah. they've had to make harder and harder cuts. Because like like my friend says, like you know, if you're going to play NFL ball and you're going to win, you're going to be you're going to be firing some really kick ass players. <laughs> so that's a great point. Yeah, I, my my line I just thought of was like you want to save diversification for your basically for your portfolio. Yeah, you know, in yeah. terms of us. You know, and especially, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're playing a high level game. <laughs> it's so true. You yeah. do have to fire yeah. some some talented players. That's a great point. Um, and but you have to hold yourself to that standard, too. If you don't feel like investing or you just, you know, if it's more fun or for whatever other success criteria you have to kind of dabble in lots of things, fine. But don't expect to get some of the gains and some of the wins that are possible when you actually focus in on what your unique set of talents and skills and passions are. When you do that, you get a far better return. And to that point, and, and this is actually another way that Dan talks about it at Coach, is that who who do we pay for? We pay large sums of money to watch athletes and entertainers. They are some of the most highly paid individuals on the planet. Okay. Are we watching Absolutely. to pay to watch are we paying to watch mediocre players? No. We are paying to watch highly. We're paying to watch yeah. people work. By the way, yeah, <laughs> they're not sure. playing; they're working, and they've really developed and honed in on their skills. And they may have had other interests, which I like to do on my leisure time. But I, you know, they're, in terms of what they're focused on doing, they really narrow it down. You know, and there's you know specialties within entertainment and sports, and sports kind of is entertainment. You know that I'm not even I'm completely clueless about. You know, if you look at these specialties, what does it take to put together a football game? What does it take to put together a concert? Oh my gosh, the number of specialties is phenomenal. Also great examples of collaboration and teamwork, but we are paying to watch unique ability. We're not paying to watch excellent. We're not paying to watch competent. We're certainly not paying to watch incompetent. We are paying to watch unique ability. Why shouldn't that be you as an entrepreneur? So here's how I'm, I'm this is coming together in my mind. There's Because there's a contradiction I wanted to kind of um, 
resolve. And that was hiring an assistant is about hiring yourself. Okay. And then we're talking about how do we not take on more work? And, and here's, here's the summary in my mind. The first thing you have to do is you have to hire yourself for your unique ability. That's mm-hmm. your job. You need to, you need to hire that guy, yes. gar, girl, whatever into that position and then put and fire yes. yourself Yes. And anybody else in your organization out of a place where they're not. And so yes. it's there's like this one simple thing that you got to keep refining and it's this back it's like in your accountability chart. You got between 10 and, and 1000 people in the organization you're trying to move people around. It's it's much more skills based than the than people based in the end. It's like, you know, you've got to see your like what are the things that I'm doing? What are the things I where can I do more of? And 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 hire people to take things off of my plate so I can do more of that and fire yes. yourself and fire anybody yes. who's in a spot where they're not at their unique ability and get them into a spot where they are. I love that. Yeah. And most of us should be fired from certain things we've been doing for a very yeah. long time because we're not very good at them and we're way too highly paid for for the results that we're delivering. So it's interesting. You talk about hiring yourself. You're actually hiring activities that you're not the best at. Right. So yes, it might be hiring part of your role, but you're not actually hiring you. You have your own unique ability and you're looking for your compliments. So I work with this incredibly talented, my colleague, Nicole, I, you know, technically assistant is what we hired for, but I call her my strategic support partner and scheduling goddess. You know, she schedules to calm down. If I schedule, I get stressed. You know, that's kind of how that works. But she has doubled, if not tripled my productivity in the six and a half years we've worked together that's worth something. Yeah. Right. So I, but it took that step that you talked about earlier. It was a little nerve wracking. I've always, I had always shared administrative support with other people before that, you know, this is after and on and she was my sales assistant, but you know, so it took a little bit like, is it worth it? Oh my gosh. And then I double, you know, triple my productivity. Yeah, that was worth it. Now I would never in a million years give that up. Um, but it, it's it's amazing how how much bigger my future got when I was properly supported and leveraged. And yeah. I think that's the other dynamic is when you are freed up from doing things that frankly drain your energy, you're not that great at, there, someone else would be better at it, there's a better who than you, then all of a sudden your future gets bigger. You are freed up right. to do those things that are much higher value. You are the most important team member in your organization. You know, yeah. And, yeah, right, and right now sure. you're... You're wasting some of your time and mental energy. And by the way, when we get drained by doing things we're not good at, we also lose all the fuel sources for things we are really good at. You know, right. entrepreneurs, right. you know, they start out doing mostly what they're good at. And as they more and more, the business gets more successful, they take on more of all those other tasks. So they end up with like 20% of the stuff they did when they were a startup. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. and then... And then they wonder why they're exhausted and tired and occasionally thinking about retiring or selling. Oh, well, that's built into the the entrepreneurial mindset of the first of the hustle. And that is, I, I, in Michael Gerber speak, I had the entrepreneurial seizure. Like, I'm I'm in it. (laughs) Now I'm here. Now I know. Now I realize what what a terrible idea it was. (laughs) But I'm in it. It's too late. And so, uh, yeah. and so you divest very quickly because you have a goal in mind that's more important than any of this inter, interim intermediate suffering that you might go through in terms of having to figure it out. Things you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. The books you're going to have to learn, all that kind of stuff that has to happen. And it's no problem because you know, you're know you energized, invigorated, and you know you don't even feel it. You're just running on adrenaline. And so that that's how it works. You're like, you're not, 
there's no logical question in the first year of an entrepreneur of a, of a solopreneur, certainly their life of like, do you like doing this? Like that's question could not be less relevant no, in no. the first year. After a while, you've grown, you've had some success. The question starts to become like, well, uh, how do I enroll people into this business? Now the question's critical. You have to start doing that. But most people fail to do that. They, mm-hmm. they, they didn't switch the thinking into what, what do I like to do? What do I love to do? Where is my best mm-hmm. talent? It's more like what pain seems to need the most thing yeah. and, and what's most affordable right now. Like I, I couldn't afford a new me, but I could afford a, you know, a bookkeeper. So let's get the bookkeeper as opposed to thinking of it from this perspective of mm-hmm. actually the, the analogy in my mind is sort of like the hiring that I want to, you know, looking at myself as though I'm hiring from the competition. It's saying like, well, Mark, right. you know, I know you. <laughs> and Uh, you have a talent for talking to people and bringing out the best of them and I've got a job opening for you and it's podcast host and I'd like you to consider taking that job I think you'll be great at it and then Mark says well yeah I got a job I don't really have time it's like well tell me about that job well I'm checking my calendar a lot (laughs) I'm checking email and following up on things sending out invoices do you like that job no I don't really like that job uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and so it's, so we say uh, may, maybe I'll have to quit that job, and maybe I can ha- quit to get hired into the best job. I have to quit it, and then somebody has to backfill that, which creates you know oftentimes a a logistical challenge to the to the business owner of like, well, now I got a vacancy, <laughs> and so I got to fill that, yeah. and I don't yeah. want to deal with that. So it goes back to the, you know that that assistant concept, um, you know, or it doesn't matter whatever that whatever that most. If we're going to move yeah, somebody into the unique ability, we're, we got to move somebody else's unique ability into that vacancy. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, why? None of us really want to hire someone worse, which I think is how a lot of not necessarily with EOS, but you know, it looks like oh, someone's going to do it less well than I am. That seems dumb, right? When but the difference between who not how is it's like oh, you're actually going to hire someone who's better. You know, who okay. Has so more let's energy, talk. That's an interesting skill. concept. That's an interesting mm-hmm. concept because a lot of a lot of uh, people profess that part of why visionaries get stuck is that expectation of perfection. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of the advice is lower your expectations a little bit. Perfection is actually not desirable. 80% is pretty kick-ass. You know, they'll do it differently. They won't do it well. But even if they mm-hmm. do it less well, it'll be better than you doing it because it's so low value relative to what you'll be doing. Speak to that in terms of how does that balance out when you hire people at a higher level as opposed to uh, giving up on perfection. Well, perfection is pretty much the death knell for innovation or delegation. So I don't think perfection is really good or useful in any realm of entrepreneurship, but particularly when it comes to hiring people. You want someone to be able to do it well, but I think where entrepreneurs get tripped up, and not only entrepreneurs, team leaders too, is we think people have to do it the way we're doing it, and that's how we define perfection. So we're not very open if we, but if we were to hire a talented, capable person with a track record and say, okay, here's the deal, here are the clients, you know, here's the result I want you to get, you know, give them the success criteria per impact filter, then you find your best way to do that. That's a slightly different conversation. So the, the, the trap that I think a lot of people, it's like, you have to do it my way. Well, that's your best way. It's not my best way. It's not his best way, not her best way. So we have to be really careful about what our definition of perfection is. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, and this comes from Six Sigma, a coach we call it the 80% approach. You know, if you do one 80%, you know, if someone 
does it. And then there's 20% left that needs some TLC. And then someone else does another 80%, you're at 96%. And then mm. if you add another 80%, you're at 99.2. That's good enough for what most of us are doing for a living, <laughs> unless it's brain surgery. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, yeah, if someone does it, if it does... If it, someone does eighty percent of, of you know as well as you can, and it frees you up to do an even better job at a, a bigger high impact activity, is that a win? Well, yeah. And the truth is, if you've hired a unique ability, they'll probably get, be even better than you were at one point. I mean, it's interesting. So Dan Sullivan, Bab Smith started Strategic Coach in nineteen ninety eight. First workshop program was in nineteen eighty nine, and Dan's first group was six people. You know, and and now we have eighteen coaches. That's a lot. Oh, wow. Now, oh, wow. and some of them, it's fine. Dan's a brilliant coach, like phenomenal. He's my coach. I love it. Um, is he our only really brilliant coach? No, he's not. They all do it uniquely their own way. And, and fun, fun, fun point to this story is that one time, you, Dan was at a trade show, and, he, and this guy came up and says, just know, I'm in strategic coach, have been for it was over three years. And he said, Adrian is my coach. He goes, I've, I've been in a session with you. She's a much better coach than you are, Dan. <laughs> but Dan is like, so Dan's, Dan's Dan. He's really cool. He goes, great. I'm really glad to hear that. He goes, no, I don't think you understand. She is a much better coach than you are. <laughs> it was like, so he wasn't trying totally, to compliment like his great work. He's like, <laughs> he was like, totally you should about take lessons he, from her. You yeah, can raise pretty much. And by the way, Adrian, Adrian is a brilliant coach, Adrian Duffy. And uh, so, because why aren't you getting upset? <laughs> like, I'm, he was obviously trying to insult him. And Dan goes, imagine if you had come up to me and said, Adrian's a terrible coach. He said, I would have a much bigger problem with that, with that comment. And the guy was like, oh. <laughs> so, so they're all, my point here, Dan's a brilliant coach, so and his ego was not on the line, which is another another good takeaway from this one. So, you know, other people are coaches. Is every coach right for every client? No. Occasionally we mix them up. All of them deliver strategic coach, but they all bring their own experience and their own flavor and their own pacing and all the other aspect of it. They're all clients first and entrepreneurs. Um, so there are lots of different ways to get something done. And can Dan coach the same number of clients as our 18 coaches can? No, he can't. He can't focus on our 10x and our free zone frontier workshops. So this is what the who, not how concept allows you to do. It allows you to build and to scale and to go to the levels that you want to go to. You know, there's stuff in your company, Mark, where you're like, I'm grateful I don't have to do that anymore. That's really freed me up to do this. And I, I fired myself. <laughs> I love that term, you know, from doing those other activities, because frankly, that's not the highest and best use of me. And I'm the most valuable person in my company. And yeah. with that mindset, it, it actually, it's, it's liberating, you know, and, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs get trapped, as I said earlier, but we can, un, we can free ourselves, you know, we call it who it up, well, it's freeing yourself up, that's ultimately what you're talking about, but you're really clear on, again, your unique ability, which is where you're the who, and then who do you need around you to support that, that whole process, so it's, it's very, people have already done it, there's something it's instinctively, I think, true about this for a lot of people, or intuitive, if you, if you want to use that word, we've already done it, this is actually now calling it out and naming it to be a strategy, which I think is a way to help people do it faster and easier is how I think of who, not how. So I'm reminded of, well, I, I'll try to get this out succinctly, that when you're trying to, 
uh, get the most out of your life, the people oftentimes you want to spend time around people who have already done that. Be success- if you want to be successful, hang out with successful people. But there's a there's a there's a flaw in that paradigm, and that is if you are not wealthy and you hang out with wealthy wealthy people and you act like how wealthy people act now, you will probably get right. broke. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> really real broke really fast. And so the the, sw- the switch has to be you have to act how, how wealthy people would act if they were in your spot. Great and that's point. a very different think, uh, way of thinking. And, why, and how I want to call that out is in the who, not how mindset, at it, it, one end of the spectrum, it, it's, it's the same kind of process but feels very different and it, it, at the other end. And so if you are, you're talking about Dan and his who, not how mindset, it's – it's a it's an act of conviction to let go of big talents and the ego associated with it, and that's a very different uh, flavor from a, a sense of obligation to do a lot of work. And you're having to let go of like, no, it's okay. You, you know, I no no one like likes to do this work, and it are kind of the early stages of, of who not how. Um, you know, don't do the bookkeeping, don't do the emails, don't do the calendar, don't do these you know these twenty five dollar an hour tasks that somebody else can do. It's a, it's it's not any easier, but it's very different uh, in terms of how it, it, it manifests. I got to give up the bookkeeping, the invoicing, and the scheduling. Oh, yep. I've got to give up the the job that actually gave me this position. That like I was I was made famous as a coach, and now I'm really not. My biggest contribution is not coach at all. Maybe I, at some point, turn that off. In fact, I'm like the the visionary of US worldwide, uh, yeah, Mark O'Donnell, yeah. good friend of mine, oh, and Mark, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, he's he, an absolute killer, killer implementer. Been doing it for years. This is a killer implementer. I mean, he's an expert in all aspects of it, and and he had to make this big choice. He's like, you know what? I actually think I want to run US worldwide more, help these solve these problems more than what I've been doing. And so the entire platform that got him the opportunity is now an obstacle, and he's in the process of winding that entire practice down to nothing, completely. Not even not even one client. <laughs> and so that's a tremendous act of faith and sort of firing you know that skill firing like that was a great skill it's not good enough we're down to down to the one unique ability that second one is pretty good but if i spend any time and energy on it i'm sacrificing for the greater good well and it's interesting we should chat with mark about this because mark would probably say it's the same unique ability applied to a different audience right so his working being an eos implementer right and and you know He's now the visionary. So, so that's a great question. That's a great, great point. So, so yeah. there's a separation there. There's a, there's a separation between the job and the unique ability. Yes. I'm glad you called that out. So yes. that makes sense. So, but his perspective, his mindset, how how he looks at solving problems for whom coaching people, which is what he's been doing, phenomenal, love Mark, and you know, but now he's looking at shifting audiences. Right, that's really what he's doing, and he was on a call with Dan and, and Kelly the other day, which was fun, and you know, so that's so he's shifting his unique ability and narrowing it down. So it's it's like what was before was the structure is now scaffolding. He's got to take away the scaffolding to kind of get to the what's the next inner thing that he's building. Uh, but I he's not deviating from I hope from his unique ability. In fact, it's probably just making it more powerful, amping it up, impacting more people you know his so we talk one of the reasons why you want to pull yourself up is so that you can have expanded freedom of time expanded freedom of money expanded freedom of relationship but also expanded freedom of purpose 
So yeah. again, it would be fun to talk to Mark about this, but I'll bet you that he's like, okay, I'm actually fulfilling a higher level of my purpose right now by working with EOS worldwide instead of just the 20 clients that he was companies he was working with before. So it's really thought provoking what you just said. And I thank you for that clarification, because I do think that like, if you get more and more clear about your unique ability or your unique uh, contributions, you do start to say, say like, well, how can that manifest? I can put it into these three buckets, these 10 buckets in because I'm good at it. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it, it's workable, but at some point you run out of time and energy and you start saying, well, I've got 10 buckets that all con- yeah. consume and I contribute my unique ability to what would happen if it were six? Like, like what would happen? Like, yeah. can somebody else handle four of those buckets at least as well as I can? And I can now give more to those six. And what happens if it becomes three? What happens if it becomes two? And if it's a which two? And then what happens if it becomes one in terms of that laser focus of making the biggest impact? And that's hard work, mm-hmm. super hard work. It is. It, it involves letting go, which is always slightly terrifying. Um, and in the way that I, you know, the other aspect of unique ability is it really comes down to the audience. In my experience, people narrow down and and fine tune and hone their unique ability. It never, it doesn't change. This is like, it starts off being factory installed. So you don't want to <laughs> pull your insides out, right. but you get a lot more nuanced about with whom you're working. And so the audience, and we much prefer to use the theater analogy than any kind of management structure um, language. So if you think about who you're, you often, what does shift is your audience. So just a story from my life is that when I, 25 years ago, I I created the strategic coach team programs and I was coaching assistants. Actually, that was my, and that's why I needed Colby because I was coaching people very different than I am put together. Uh, So I had to understand them and I will actually not coach anyone without knowing their Colby. Um, That's where that rule started. And, you know, so then, so yeah, no, because I, Tried it a few times, didn't work. That's why. And so they're, they're Colby MO. And so then I started working with assistants. And then I started working with other team members. And then I started working with team leaders. And then I started working with entrepreneurs and their team leaders at the same time. Well, guess what? I don't coach the assistant program and I don't coach team tools anymore. Yeah. Right? So yeah. I have shifted my audience. And one of my favorite things to do is like a year-long program with entrepreneurs and their leadership teams. And so it's just, now, is my unique ability different? No, it's a heck of a lot better trained than it was 25 years ago but that's so i have now now it's more interesting and fun and challenging for me to work with people because i've you know 25 years ago was working with assistants that was amazing it was an incredible opportunity i loved every second of it and then i'm like okay what's next and then what's next and then what's next and so now i would actually be horrible at coaching that group of people they're no longer my audience if that makes sense now Entrepreneurs and their and their leadership teams or their small companies. That's my that's my jam. Um, so, but we have to keep challenging ourselves, or we get bored. And as I said at the beginning, a bored entrepreneur is a very very dangerous creature. We start making messes. And so yeah, I, I, think I love that. But I wrote that down. A firefighter, yeah. a bored firefighter, becomes an arsonist. Yep. <laughs> and so and there's stories. There are yeah, stories about this. Yeah. 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 We, and then but, they start other businesses and they start doing wackadoo things because they're bored. You also said like, you know, you wouldn't do that coaching now because you'd be horrible at it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you'd probably be even better now than you were then. But the new standard is so different, it would not feel fair to the people you could help the most. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't be horrible, but would I be the best coach for them and for what their issues are? No. Given what the other alternatives are, given what you now know, given what... I would be excellent. 
maybe competent, but I can tell you there's some other people in my organization who are yeah. way better at it than I am yeah. at this point. Yeah. Here's the other thing, and this is a little bit because of how I'm constructed. I would keep changing it. Yeah, oh, I have yeah, maximizer yeah. number one on Strengths Finder. I'm a nine quick start. Don't feel a need to follow the plan because it was my plan anyway, so I can change it. So I would I would create inefficiencies. I would not get provide a consistent thing because I'd be like, oh, we could do this different. We could change this up, and I think this would be more fun. Fun being a success criteria in my world, and so I. That's why it wouldn't be so good. Does that make sense? So you know, I would I would keep messing with it. If it was my oh, only yeah. sandbox, so, so that, I'm going to keep that, doing stuff. Yeah, that's a slightly different vector, and that is that we're we're saying that over time things change. That's one part of this. You're trying to raise our game. Another other part is like I, I'm good at creation to a point. Uh, like mm-hmm. I'm good at creation, we'll say. I'm not great at maintenance. I'm not great at you know, and so because exactly. I will break it, and I and so put me in front of a new problem that I can fix, and then when that's fixed, put me in front of a new problem because if you, you put it. me in front of the old problem, I will actually break something that was working just fine. <laughs> precisely it's like been there done that got 18 t-shirts next you know and that's and i think that's a real danger point for uh, entrepreneurs one of their biggest dangers is is in becoming bored and that's when they start to muck with their own companies that's when they start to mess with the team and the team's like can you just leave please because i was doing just fine before you walked in my office you know and that's when they go and start other things rather than actually stretching themselves or figuring out what the marketplace needs that was that fundamental relationship um model i just Go through it quickly so I don't leave yeah, anyone hanging. But it's, it starts with your unique ability and your teams, your companies, and then you create value for the for the small subset of the you know I was going to say universe, but <laughs> the planetary population for who you know that's your target audience. You really understand what we call their DOS, their dangers, opportunities, and strengths, what they're worried about, what they're excited about, and what they're confident about. And when you do that, because this goes back to your innovation comment is you, you provide leadership, relationship, and creativity. And leadership is providing direction where people are confused. They don't know what to do. Uh, relationship is providing um, confidence where people are feeling isolated, especially right now. And then yeah. you know creativity is providing capabilities where people are feeling powerless because they don't know what to do. So when we can provide leadership and relationship and creativity for that target audience, so if we're not real specific on who that is, we're going to be trying to solve a lot of people's problems and trying to be here to everybody, that rarely works. What we get back in return is lots and different types of rewards, financial opportunities, key relationships, everything, you know, but we have, so innovation comes from when we're really tuned in to what our audience needs, wants, desires, solve their problems. That's where the innovation comes in, in the form of providing them with direction, confidence and capabilities. So I mean, I'm just quickly describing a model, but it's a neat way to think about things but we're not randomly coming up with innovations. They're driven by our market. So we can be good at a technical person at solving those. We can be good at relationship part of that. But ultimately, it needs to serve what their what their needs are. If not, our innovation is is not going to create value. You know, it's just it's going to be an interesting idea, but it's not actually going to do anything for anyone. Well, that's interesting because uh, one of the things I've learned or come to believe rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think growing up, everybody everybody has their ideas. Like they got this, oh, this invention, it's incredible. You know, it's gotta gotta have this thing. You know, it's this. I used to have some good random examples of things that we needed to invent. Everybody's gonna have that thing though, that special hmm, USB sure. powered, you know, you know, cup, you know, cleaner. I don't know who knows, but uh, that's not actually, as it turns out, the, the missing ingredient. I mean, everybody has ideas, and and mm-hmm. every idea that's out there in the marketplace was thought of. 
a hundred times and maybe even attempted uh, 50 times before something hit ideas are not what we're lacking it is not that is not the it is not the shortage at all it is the ability to get it done and to to bring it to life and and you know listen well enough to 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 draw it out into manifestation not Mm -hmm. just to think it up like that is not super valuable at all and you need an audience to test it on you know one of Dan's expressions, I'm sure you'll like it, is test on check writers. You know, we could test it with our friends and mm. neighbors, but test it on people who are actually, would you be willing to write a check for that? And they'll go, yes or no. But if you did this, I might. You know, it's like that's how that's how ideas become manifest. It's because you take it out of your brain, put it into on a piece of paper or however you like to communicate, and you test it on someone and you see whether or not they're like, oh, that does solve my problem or eh. I'm not sure what you were dreaming up last night, you know, or, and yeah. then you, then you go back to the drawing board, but that's, that's how things become manifest. And I think entrepreneurs are uniquely suited, placed, whatever context you want to put around it to do that. They actually see the connection between the idea and the reality and the people who would use it and pay for it. And that's the magic of entrepreneurs. And this is, you know, it's, it's entrepreneurs who are going to this is where the economy comes from, you know, us yeah. getting more better at what we're supposed to be doing, identifying the things to be solved, and then putting teams around. That's, that's what drives the economy last time I checked, right? So this is a function that's incredibly important. Um, and I think more, the more that entrepreneurs really appreciate their unique capabilities and the difference it makes, the more all of what we've talked about makes sense. Well, and I think we're entering a, w- a world where there's a whole net. I mean, the gig economy has totally changed things, uh, and so to, to your point, if there's one thing I hope people take away from this conversation is just the question of what exactly does who, not how, mean. And so you can go out throughout your day and your life asking the question, what what does that mean? And I think it's as simple as like, well, how do I get to the airport? Okay, well, maybe it's maybe I'm not the person to solve for that problem. Maybe my Uber driver is a fractional low cost way to do this. Um, you know, fits my budget, my time, my, my needs. And so if we work backwards from like, I can't afford a full time driver. <laughs> you know, that's like I, I don't I don't I, I, a driver sounds great I can't have that and that's exactly how Uber kind of came about right I think if yeah. I understand the story correctly they it was it was a luxury service that they were trying to create for you know an affordable like a, essentially the fractional jet equivalent in in cars and yeah. uh, and then it turned into something completely different but this uh, you know don't 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 use old thinking to tell you the new thinking won't work. Uh, we know that the, it's a talent-driven economy. The stakes mm-hmm. are getting higher. The, mm-hmm. the level of, of, of standard is going up. We, we, like even you know leadership, uh, command and control leadership was the was great when it was the only <laughs> thing going. <laughs> When people actually were grateful to have a job and not and and not be out on the street because there were no opportunities elsewhere, you know, it was fine to be abused in the workplace and just and just know that uh, being told what to do meant you got paid. Well, things evolved. And now there's somebody across the street says, hey, you know, we're hiring. (laughs) 
and we're doing fun stuff and you're going to make a big contribution and you're going to like working here so much you're going to want to give us more than 40 hours not and we're not even going to ask you in fact we might even tell you to work less and once that is uh, in play the game changes command and control is no longer a thing and now you have to inspire and inform and and you've got to raise your game as as a leader now if you're going to have uh, a marketer and you're on your team being lame at it is no longer workable. It's permission to play is you got to be marketing savvy. And how are you going to get access to the very best talent? And if you're thinking, well, I can't hire a full-time person, I guess I'll just have to do it. That's going to probably leave you a few steps behind your competition who found the right person at the right price and the right fraction. And so uh, even things like working at home. I, I did a, a podcast and we recently re-promoted this with uh, – uh, HireMyMom.com, and, and the, the whole thing was like uh, uh, <laughs> uh, the. I'm writing that down. Like you are leaving it on the table if you don't want these highly skilled professional women uh, who are available part time, who, who are you know not you know they, they're capable they're, and they want to work yeah. a little, <laughs> and, and yeah. you need them a little, and you can buy them at that price, and they want to be bought at that price, and it's win for them and win for you. Uh, if you were just like, well, if you're thinking. Integer, integer hiring. I can't do it. Um, your competition is gonna, gonna beat you. Oh, amen. Yes. And and by the way, there's a very fun driver story in in Who Not How, <laughs> which is really cool. And you know that old model of command and control kind of worked when humans were replacing. You know, when we were in factories. You know, when yeah. we had to do things exactly the way they had to get done, or something broke, kind of worked. Not great for humans. Better for technology. Well, now we're in a networked economy. Now we're in the gig economy and there's a ton of talent. And so one of the things that things, you know, before you just had to fit into a mold and your unique ability that this wasn't even a conversation that was even possible except right. for the last 40 years or so, you know, it would have been like, who cares? I need to get paid and feed my family. Right. Like that was what was, so this is, we're in a new framework. So new models are required and it's a unique ability world. It is a talent where you yeah, have absolutely. to know your talents. You have to know yourself. You have to know your strengths. You also have to know what you're bad at frankly, and hopefully be humble about those. We all have to be tech savvy to put all the supports in place for the things that we're not good at and, and good at communicating and being in teamwork with people who are also complementary. That's the world we're living in. So we're all living in a who, not how world. And the faster we transition our thinking out of that old, like you called it integer thinking, and more into this, we're like, we are freed up where more things are possible we don't doesn't have to cost a fortune lots of really cool baby steps to get there um but again your eyes only see and your ears only hear what your brain's looking for so if you can start looking for who's instead of just how you're going to do the house um i think it's a pretty profound and an important shift for everyone to make it's very it's a very exciting conversation it is and i've i realized over the last 30 minutes that there was going to be no way for us to say like okay we're done <laughs> Because you and I can talk all day about this. There's a great deal of of passion and enthusiasm. So uh, this is probably as good a spot as any to to wrap it up. Is there anything uh, you want to add to this that you feel incomplete? No, just I I got to talk about all sorts of different things related to this. And it it is a whole way of thinking. Um, Just I would say just check your mindset. That's kind of the only thought I want to leave people. Where are you? What's your starting point? And uh and educate yourself on who, not how. It's written by Benjamin Hardy, and he wrote it in a way that's very accessible with a ton of stories. Um, so if you want to kind of immerse yourself in the thinking to test it out, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. So I, I do think that the book is probably a good idea for people who are struggling with that, uh, because I, I have been pondering it quite a while, and I've and I've 
encountered some objections, uh, people, because I just kind of got it, and, and, and at least in terms of on, and faith. And then I realized there were obstacles, and so I've worked through it. But a lot of people are were just stuck. They're stuck in the, in the organization. They're stuck in how to get out of their own way. And a lot of those problems are solved in, in the who piece of this. And so I, I think that I highly recommend the book as a way to uh, – Breaks through some of the thinking of you know, like no, the, the limits that are, that you're kind of telling you no right now they're not actually there. Uh, there, there's budget doesn't have to be it. It doesn't have to be expensive. Um, it doesn't have to be a, you know a huge effort to make a big difference a lot of times. So so freeing up the thinking to just at least get to the default approach of you know maybe the old machine isn't the the old machine to make the new products you know it's like if i got a new need i got to put it in the right machine if i even have the right machine and and that and it's not about retooling the old machine it's you know there's a, there's another machine that can solve this problem that yeah. i can use for 5 minutes <laughs> it's free and it's much smaller <laughs> Yeah, much smaller exactly. than the original one. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. It fits right in your pocket. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, I'd love to end on this. The question that I love to ask, and that is, what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? Oh my gosh! Uh, number one, get to, get to know yourself and really appreciate how you're the who. <laughs> Put it that way. So just. Know yourself, be able to talk about yourself, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, and that will make it so easy and so much clearer for figuring out who you know who you need to surround yourself with. I think if there's one recipe for entrepreneurial happiness, it's being, you know, have that head, heart, and gut alignment that I was talking about. Um, so that would be my passionate plea. You know, and, and free yourself up. You have a an incredibly important purpose uh, in the world, and I would love to help free you up to get there or at least help the thinking process to help you do that so but it starts with you really appreciating you know what you're uniquely here for what your unique ability is and then again and then that teamwork so that would be my passionate plea yeah i I love that and and what i've I've, the last several podcasts i've done or many of them anyway there's a common theme around uh, the importance of some form of inner work Look at working mm. inward and not and not just trying to get better at the craft and, and the outward working. It's really, especially visionary entrepreneurs seem to find a lot of value in um, in doing that introspection and um, maximizing their contribution in some way. With some with some of this, oftentimes uh, esoteric and, and difficult and, and slow going work. Sometimes <laughs> you know, it requires patience. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of add that you know we didn't talk a ton about Strategic Coach and its contribution. So anybody listening to this, it's a fantastic organization that has. Uh, it's really about creating a system of tools or, or making available a system of tools to help the entrepreneur get the most out of their individual life, much the way the EOS is a system of tools to help the business and leadership team um, operate at their best. And what I love about it is uh, so many of the tools are available in some form, uh, in, in either individually or in the, in the books, and, and there's things you can you can download. So check out the website, and so we'll, we'll have that in the show notes. Little, so some books. <laughs> yeah, little books. That's a, that's a big thing, uh, you know, books that you can read on an, air, on an airplane flight that's I don't know if anybody's doing much of that these days, but maybe it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although some people, for sure, uh, so, but the short books. The short books aspect is nice. I think it's you know it makes it less intimidating to to be able to knock a book out quickly. Uh, so if somebody wanted wanted to continue the conversation and get more information, where's the where's the simplest easiest way to send people to to learn about what you've been talking about? Awesome. Well, really, two. So um, strategiccoach.com is the best place. There. Are, I have to say there are a ton of resources, videos, audios, you name it, all the things. 
um, plus a great store, which has all the little quarterly ambition books, including tools like the Impact Filter and the Strategy Circle, as you as you mentioned. Um, and then WhoNotHow.com is another place to to get more information specifically about Who Not How. And I just did. I mean, I bought the book. I bought the Kindle. I also bought the Audible, and it's read by Benjamin, uh, but also with interviews interspersed with Dan and Ben, which is really fun. So I've, I've always liked Audible, mostly because I don't sit still long enough to read much anymore. Uh, but then I just fell in love when I when he kind of did something innovative with the format. So whatever way you're best to listen or learn, um, highly recommend that. And that's just available on Amazon or your favorite place to buy books. Um, so who not had.com and strategiccoach.com best places to go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We covered a ton of ground today and, uh, and I was excited and, uh, and I hope people get a fraction out of this of what I got out of it. It really helped clarify my thinking. Uh, I, I really en- enjoy your passion for the subject and we're just, you know, on the same page with that. It's, it's been a real privilege. Uh, and thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It's really so much fun to talk about something I am so passionate about. So thanks for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, that's our time and that's it for today. So don't forget to subscribe and share. And if anybody you know could really use this content, make sure you get it in their hands because uh, it doesn't do any good if they don't get access to it. So share it with your friends and the people who might want to, to benefit from this uh, and provide the feedback as always. And we will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark henderson This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.